So we're in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, Ephesians chapter 5, and what I want to talk to you about tonight is is pretty simple, and the title is this, Godly Living in Evil Days, Godly Living in Evil Days. Now, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you tonight that we live in evil days. Uh, If you just look around, uh, if you look around in in the media, and on the TV, and newspapers, internet, if you just look around a little bit and look at the state of our world, the state of our nation, the state of our uh, society, you see that that the days are evil. They're evil days. And so uh, we've got to understand that. I I think I said in a sermon recently, uh, we don't live in Mayberry anymore. Right, we don't. I, 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 we love the Annie Griffith show. My family does. We, we, we watch them. We watch them all, um, and it's just a thing we do. We can quote them back and forth to each other. We love the Annie Griffith show, and it's just a funny show, a good show, wholesome show. But we don't live in Mayberry anymore. Uh, we live in Babylon. Uh, there's more um, direct, um, uh, more of a direct connection between the United States of America and Babylon, the United States of America and Mayberry. And so we've got to understand that the culture is changing rapidly. And we've got to understand that that means something for us. That, that it should affect the way we live our lives and our mindset and our focus and what we are to be about. And so I want to just talk to you about godly living in evil days. What it looks like, what we're called to do, how we're called to live as the culture rapidly deteriorates. Now you need to understand that I love the book of Ephesians. I love this book. Uh, one New Testament scholar calls Romans the king of the New Testament. Uh, Romans, rich, deep theology, uh, 16 chapters. It's just a a magnificent, magnificent book uh, written by the Holy Spirit through the instrumentality of Paul. But if Romans is the king of the New Testament, then Ephesians would be the queen of the New Testament. Ephesians is a book that is just phenomenal, and there's so much here. I preached through it. Uh, years ago here at our church and had a wonderful time preaching through the book of Ephesians. But I want to just hone in on a passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and just kind of catch you up to speed. Paul is writing to Christians, uh, the church in the city of Ephesus, and he's encouraging them to live like Christians. As a matter of fact, there's really a, a, a basic division of this book. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, Paul is sharing with us the realities of the gospel, what it means that Jesus saves and, and what it means for our lives. The second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, deals with the practical implications of the gospel. In other words, if you have met Christ, if you are saved, if you are redeemed, it ought to make a difference in the way you live. That, that's the point. And, and here are the areas Paul shows us in chapters 4 through 6 that the gospel ought to make a difference in your life. And so in chapter 5, Paul is driving home the importance of living the Christian life. He wanted their life to count to matter. Now, you need to understand that uh, the United States of America is, a, is, a, uh, is quickly becoming uh, morally bankrupt. There is immorality everywhere you look, but you need to understand this is not a new thing in human history. As a matter of fact, I would say the United States of America doesn't have anything on Ephesus in the first century. Ephesus was a wicked, vile place. Uh, immorality everywhere you looked. And so Paul is reminding these believers in Ephesus, listen, it is possible for you to live godly when you are surrounded by so much ungodliness. So there are a lot of parallels for us as we see things deteriorate all around us. So how are we supposed to live? What does godly living look like in evil days? And I've got four answers to that question. 
And they are there in your notes, so you can just follow along with me. The first answer to that question is live carefully. Live carefully. Now look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look in verse 15. If you read verses 1 through 14, it gives you the the context about... uh, the change that Jesus makes, you should not walk in immorality or impurity anymore or covetousness. You're, you're a follower of Christ now. And in verse 15 he says, Look carefully then, notice that word carefully, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And so that, that word, look carefully, it's, it's, it's literally the word to watch. The basic meaning of this word translated carefully is to be accurate and exact. And so it means to look, to examine, to investigate something with great care. The word carefully carries with it the idea of alertness. And so when he says live carefully, what he's saying is be on guard, be alert, be watchful as you live your life. Don't just kind of float through life uh, being tossed to and fro with with everything that you encounter. You need to be careful how you walk. And the question is, why should we be careful? Why should we be vigilant when it comes to the way we live our lives? Why should we concern ourselves with what our lives look like? Well, there are at least three answers to that question. Number one, because our lives influence others. Listen, you just can't get around the fact that your life is going to impact others either positively or negatively. And, and, And that's the reality. And whether it's positive or negative, you are going to impact somebody else. That's just the, the reality of the life that we live. And so we need to be careful because our lives influence others. Secondly, we need to be careful because there are consequences for our behavior. Right? We know this. We know that if we disregard God's way and go our own direction, do our own thing, uh, that there are consequences. Over in Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says that, that what a man sows, he will also what? Reap. That's a, that's a principle that God has built in, into the creative order. That what you sow, you reap. And so if we sow um, unwise living, if we sow um, immoral living, impure living, then we're going to reap the consequences for that kind of life. So we need to be careful because there are consequences for the way we live. A third reason that we need to be careful with the way we live is because the way we live is a reflection of our worship. The way we live is a reflection of our worship. In other words, the way we live says a lot about what we think about God. I'm going to say it again. This is important. What, the way we live says a lot about what we think about God. Because over in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Whether you eat or whether you drink, do everything to the glory of God. We are called to live every part of our lives, not just Sundays or Wednesdays, not just when you're sitting in the church building or the connect group room, but every day of our lives, when you're in your workplace, when you're in your, your home, when you're on vacation, every part of our lives is to glorify God. And so we need to be careful how we live because we want God to get the glory from our life that he deserves. Would you agree tonight that God is worthy of glory? He's worthy of worship. And if that's true, then we should be careful how we live. So that he's getting the glory from our life. So that our life becomes a, a big reflection of what Jesus is doing in us. So we need to live carefully. We need to, be, we need to pay attention to what we're doing, how we're living, how we're talking, how we're thinking. Uh, there, there was a time in my life I played uh, uh, college soccer. And, 
And, uh, and I was a believer. I was saved when I was uh, nine years of age and, and uh, you know, grew up in church. And I went off to college, and I was playing college soccer. And I was in the locker room a lot. And, and if you've never been in a, in a college athletics locker room, the language is vile. And, and there just became a time when I found myself using the same language. And I had this moment, just kind of this wake-up call, where uh, I just, I, I, I just it's almost like an out-of-body experience, like I was looking down on myself. And, and I was looking down at my, I was like, what, what is coming out of my mouth? What am I saying? And see, what was happening was, I just wasn't paying attention. I just was li- just doing my thing and just repeating what I was hearing. And I wasn't being careful with my lips. I wasn't being careful with my life. And, and so that was a, a moment of discipline in my life where God got me right on that issue. And I could take you through a lot of other issues where God had to, had to get me right on some things and, and correct me on some things because I wasn't being careful. I was just kind of just floating through life, not thinking about how my life pointed people to God or did not point people to God. And so we need to be careful with the way we live. How do you, so, so inventory. Hey, what, is your, what does your speech look like? Does it glorify Christ? What is your thought life? Look like does it does it glorify Christ? How about the way you interact with people? Does it glorify Christ? What about your marriage or your parenting? Or does it glorify Christ? Uh, think about when 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 times get difficult and, and and things go wrong in your life. Do you fly off the handle, or do you handle it uh, trusting in God every step of the way? How do you, how do you live your life? What does it look like? We need to be careful how we live because our lives are a reflection of what we believe about God, and so we need to live. Carefully. Number two, we need to live wisely. We need to live wisely. Look what it says back in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as what? Wise. And so it's a very clear call from the Bible that we are to live wise lives. Now, here's a definition of wisdom that I wrote when I was studying through the book of Proverbs. I think it's a a, a pretty... A uh, good definition of what wisdom is. Because we see the word wisdom used all over the Bible. What, what do we mean when we say wisdom? Here's the definition I've, I've written. Wisdom is insight into life revealed by God that should be acquired and acted upon. Wisdom is insight into life revealed by God. And so true wisdom comes from God. We don't make it up. It comes from God. Not worldly, it comes from God, it's revealed by God, and it should be acquired. In other words, we should grow in our insight that God reveals by studying His Word, and we should act upon it, okay? Wisdom is not true wisdom until you're acting upon it. Wisdom that's not acted upon is just knowledge. And did you know you can have knowledge but live a very unwise life? Did you know that? And so we need, to, we need to acquire wisdom from God's Word, a Christian worldview. We need to act upon it, live according to that wisdom. Wisdom is, another way to think about it, is discernment that helps you to know right from wrong. And if I see something that is, is sorely lacking in churches today and sorely lacking in our nation today and conversations on everything Moral issues, politics, what, what is lacking from my perspective is discernment. People that, that just understand there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And what's happening in our nation is we're calling everything wrong right. And everything that is right, we're calling wrong. It's like, we've, it's like we've, we've turned things upside down morally. And people are, are living 
without discernment. And churches are taking hold of a lot of this stuff without any kind of discernment, thinking through it critically, uh, looking at issues through a biblical lens. That is wisdom. Wisdom, listen, helps you to make good decisions, not destructive ones. If, if you read the book of Proverbs, the whole thing is basically about, hey, live wise lives so you don't get yourself in a bind. That's what the book of Proverbs is basically about. Don't, don't live a foolish life because if you do... There are consequences, and so we need, to, we need to make good decisions, not destructive ones, and wisdom helps us to do that. The Bible speaks often of the benefits of wisdom. So think about this verse. I love this verse. Proverbs 3, 13 and 14. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit, watch this, is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. The, the Bible says that that having wisdom in your life is more valuable than having material possessions. That's what it says, right? So you can take a, a man that just won the Powerball, right? Millions of dollars. I think we had someone up in Tennessee that won Powerball. Millions of dollars. You take someone that doesn't have anything but has godly wisdom, guess who's the richer? The person with godly wisdom. Because it is of more value. I promise you, listen to me. I promise you, when you and I get into eternity... We're not going to be worried about how much stuff we had in this life. The way we lived our lives is going to matter in eternity, isn't it? And so we want to to grow in that wisdom. So here's the question. How do we become more wise? I mean, how do you get wiser? How do you grow in wisdom? Because he says here in Ephesians 5, he says, uh, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So how can I walk in a wise way? How do we acquire wisdom? Well, let me give you some answers. This is so important. It's kind of the heart of what I want to talk to you about. These are the ways that you acquire wisdom in your life. Number one, ask for it. Ask for it. Look over in James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. This is so simple, we miss it. James chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Pretty simple, right? If you need more wisdom, and hey, you do. I do. We always need to grow. And some, some of the people that are in the most dangerous spots in their life are people that are unteachable. I think they know it all. They're headed for disaster. We all need to grow in wisdom. So, if you need to grow in wisdom, ask. I mean, that's simple. So, let me ask you a question. When was it? Don't answer it out loud. But when was the last time you just said, "God, give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom in you know my marriage or uh, you know, raising kids or ministry role or the workplace or financially or whatever." With this problem I'm experiencing, Lord, would you give me wisdom? Because the promise of the Bible is, if you ask, God will give it to you. That's good news, isn't it? So let's just begin to ask God for wisdom. I can't tell you, uh, as, a, as a pastor, I told you Sunday that I, I'm weighing over my head, and, and, and I, that, I wasn't just grandstanding. I really felt, you know, this is, it, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot to being a pastor and, and I, I am so desperate for God's wisdom in that. And there's a lot to being a, a husband. There's a lot to being a, a father and the different roles God has me in my life. I, I, listen, I'm in desperate need of wisdom. I can't just figure it out. I need God's help. How about you? Am I the only one needing wisdom tonight? So ask God 
for wisdom. Number two, listen to rebukes. And oh, this is important. Listen to rebukes. Proverbs 13.1 A wise son listens to his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Pretty, pretty clear, right? Wise son listens to discipline. Uh, and the, 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 the implication here is it, it, if, if they're going the wrong direction and they're disciplined, they get back going the right direction, okay? But a, a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. They, they keep going the wrong direction, and its end is destruction. Now, let me tell you, let me just be honest with you. Listening to rebukes is not any fun. But it is of critical importance. All right? Listen, this part, I'm telling you, it's not fun. It's not fun when somebody rebukes you and, and speaks into your life. But it is of utmost importance. But, and here's why it's important. We all, everyone in this room, we all have blind spots in our character and conduct. And other people can see them. And other people can see things in your life that you can't see. And so if we're ever going to see those things, we need someone to tell us, right? So if I'm sitting there with you at lunch and I've got, you know, mustard drooling down my face, I want you to tell me, right? Maybe an uncomfortable moment, maybe a little embarrassing. Hey, Wade, you dab on your, you know, dab, you know. But I would rather somebody tell me than me go the rest of the day with mustard on my face, right? We need people to speak to our Blind spots, people that love us, people that we can trust, people that have a biblical worldview, but we need people that can help us to see blind spots. I remember one of my first driving lessons. I I was with my dad, got my learner's permit. He was in the passenger seat, and we got out on four-lane highway there in Perry, Highway 19, and uh, and I I was in the, 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 the right lane. Uh, just just driving along, and Dad was watching. He saw a car coming up behind us, and he said, "Now, Wade, do you see that car in your rearview mirror?" And I said, "Yeah, I see it." And he said, "He said, now, when it disappears, I want you to look in your side mirror." So I was looking at the car, my rearview mirror. It disappeared. I looked at my side. He said, "Do you see it in your side mirror?" I said, "No." He said, "Look over your shoulder." I looked, and that car was right there in my blind spot. And in a minute, my side mirror picked it up. But Dad taught me when that first driving lesson, hey, listen, you have a blind spot. So before you change lanes, don't just trust your mirror. Glance over your shoulder so that you don't hit the car in your blind spot. And that little piece of advice has saved me from a lot of wrecks, right? Because I learned that if you don't pay attention to your blind spot, you're headed for a wreck, right? And it's the same way in our Christian lives. If you don't pay attention to your blind spot, you are headed for a wreck. And listen to me, we all got them. We like to think we don't got them, but we got them. And almost everybody sees it except us, right? And so we need to have people in our lives that, that love us, that trust us, that love Jesus, that believe the Bible, that, can, that have the permission to speak in our life and say, hey, I, I see this going on in your life. How, how are you? How are things going? Do you, can I, how can I pray for you? I, is, is there, you need to talk about something. We, we, need this, we need this help in our lives. It's tough to hear rebuke, but God can use others in the body of Christ to get our attention and help us to walk in godliness. So listen to rebukes. Here's the third way you acquire wisdom. And this one's not any fun either because it messes with our pride. You ready? Be humble enough to seek counsel. Be humble enough to seek counsel. 
Proverbs 13.10, and, and there are many verses that speak to this, but let me read Proverbs 13.10 for you. Through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Or ESV says, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive uh, counsel is wisdom. So if you want to be wise, you need to bounce some things about your life off of other folks. You need to find the right folks, folks that you love and you care about, and, and that care about you and that believe the Bible, love Jesus, and you need to be able to bounce things off of them so they can help you to make good decisions in your life. Uh, be humble enough to seek counsel. The reason this, this is hard is because it is an acknowledgement, listen to me, it's an acknowledgement that we don't have all the answers in life. Anyone in here have all the answers? Anyone, anybody want to raise their hand and just, you know, no, none of us do. So we need some help. We need some guidance. God expects us to seek advice from others who love the Lord and walk with Him. And listen to me, there's a powerful dynamic that occurs when people that love Jesus get together and discuss ways to handle or face a situation. Never make a big decision without running it by some godly people, all right? So just, that's just, just good biblical counsel, Bounce ideas off of others, uh, and you will grow in your wisdom. Here's the next thing. Walk with wise people. How do you grow in wisdom? Walk with wise people. A lot of things that we learn in life that is good are things that are taught, formally taught from a, you know, a preacher or teacher or, or you know, a, a parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle. And we are formally taught some things like the blind spot lesson with my dad. But a lot of things are caught, aren't they? I mean, things that we just see by someone's example are things that we begin to integrate in our own lives. And so, if we're going to pick up some things from other people, we need to make sure we're picking them up from the right people. That we're learning lessons from people that are worthy of learning lessons from. So we need to walk with wise people. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Listen to me. We are without question... Without question, we are influenced by those we spend a lot of time with. So make sure you spend some time around wise people. Their wisdom, their example, their walk with God will rub off on you. And so, spend time around the right kind of people. And here's the the final thing. How do you grow in wisdom? And this is so important. Fear God. Fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if you fear God, if you have reverence and awe for Him, you want to you honor Him with your life, so you begin to live carefully, and you want to listen to what He says. So you begin to live wisely because you fear Him. So it's the beginning point, the starting point for wisdom. Growth and wisdom is to fear God. So, so live wisely. Live wisely. I, I, there's a time where... Uh, where I saw God do this in my life uh, to help me make a wise decision where a lot of these principles came into play. Uh, I was in seminary. Uh, Claire was in pharmacy school, and we, had our, our, we still had our high school vehicles. And I had a little uh, Toyota truck. I had a college vehicle. I had a little Toyota truck, and um, it was beginning to have some problems. It's kind of fun. I'll tell you a little story about the truck. Uh, it was a, I got it when I was a teenager, and so I had tinted windows on it, and I had some special wheels on it, and so it was a sporty-looking little truck. Um, um, but then I became a pastor. I, I started pastoring at a young age at, T- at Temple Baptist Church when they called me. I think it was 24 when they called me. 
and, uh, and I had a little dent in the front fender that I didn't have the money to fix. And so as a pastor, no one told me, you know, how to do the whole funeral thing. So my first funeral, um, I, I drove up my little red Toyota truck, and, uh, and they put me in line, the, the procession from the funeral home out to the cemetery, right behind the hearse. And so here I am in this little red truck with tinted windows and wheels and a dent in the front fender, and I was just so embarrassed. And, you know, here the pastor steps out. And, uh, and, and so then I learned to ride with the funeral home director in the hearse up to the... These are little tips. They don't teach you in seminary, okay? Uh, I learned to ride up in the hearse so I didn't have to ride in my beat-up, sporty-looking truck that, you know, a 17-year-old put together. So, so uh, but that truck was starting to have some issues with it, and the timing chain went out, and transmission, and I was starting to put a lot of money into it. So I know I, know I needed something, and I'll never forget it. I was, I was driving home from seminary one day, and I stopped at a Honda dealership, and I started looking at Honda Civics, and this guy showed me a brand new gold Honda Civic, and that thing just looked so beautiful, you know. And uh, and I, I knew I needed a little car with good gas mileage, and 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 we and we went and sat down, and he said, "Hey, what do we need to do? What do we need to do today?" And and uh, I called Claire, and I said, "Look, I'm looking at this car, and it's nice and brand new, and and uh, it would you know fit our needs." And Claire said, "Whatever you think, you know." What so she put it back on me, and and uh, and uh, and he wanted to, you know get the deal done today. They hate it when you leave the leave the the, the dealer's lot. And uh, and I was I was I was really close to pulling the trigger. I was on the phone with my dad. I I, I never make a big financial decision without talking to my dad. And called dad, and dad and I were talking back. He's asking me all these questions about it and getting me to think about this and that. And and I got back talking to the the the, the salesman. And and uh, you know I was like oh. And but I, I said I I told him I said I need to go home and just think and pray about it. I don't need to make a decision right now because I wasn't sure. And and so. Um, so I went home, and Claire wasn't home yet from school. I, she may have even been at work at that time. And, and I got home in a little apartment, and I sat there, and I just thought. I started reading in Proverbs and started reading verses about material possessions and, and reading verses about wisdom. And there was just a, uh, the way I explain it to you is there was just this moment of clarity in my life, just this very clear moment. And, and, and it was as if the Lord said to me, he didn't say it in an audible voice, but as if the Lord showed me, hey, you're not at a place in your life right now where you need a brand new car. Okay, that was just my moment of clarity, and uh, and so I went from there. I ended up getting a little Saturn uh, that uh, you know. I remember my car payment was one hundred and forty six dollars a month. It was a used Saturn, and 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 it lasted me forever. I think it's still around somewhere. Uh, Trey Clinty had it for a while, and and uh, that, the white Saturn, remember the white Saturn? And uh, it was a great car, and it got me through you know got me through years and years, and and uh, and it was lo- good gas mileage, and it's just a better financial decision. But, but in that whole thing, all these principles were happening. I was seeking wise counsel. I was, I was thinking carefully. I was praying. I was in God's word. And, as, and, and that's just a, kind of a silly example, but it shows you how all these principles kind of come into play uh, that helped me to make a, that decision the best decision at that moment in my life. And so that's just an example for my life. But we all have those moments. We've got to make a decision, and, and we don't want to make it in our own wisdom. We need to ask God for his wisdom and, and, and seek these principles. And so live wisely, live wisely um, in this land. Here's the third thing, live urgently. Live urgently. Back in Ephesians, look what he says in verse 16. Back to verse 15, look carefully how you, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. 
because the days are evil. Remember I told you we're talking about evil days. So make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Two things about urgent living. Number one, the mandate. He says there, make the best use of time. The, the word there literally in the Greek language is redeeming the time. Redeeming uh, the time. That word uh, redemption was used in the marketplace to buy something. And so he's saying buy up the time that you have so that you make good use of it. Now, uh, that word time there is interesting when it says redeeming the time. Uh, or making the most of the of the uh, of the time. There are two words in the Greek language for time. All right, so a little Greek language here. The first word is the word chronos, where we get chronology from. That's the first word that's used for time. It's it's the word that was used for clock time, uh, measured in hours, minutes, and seconds. So if someone wanted to say, "Hey, what time is it?" And they want to know the time of the day. They would use the word chronos in the first century Greek language. Everybody got that? The second word. Uh, that was used for time was the word kairos, which denotes a measured, allocated, fixed season. And the word that Paul uses here is not chronos, not saying, hey, make the most use of hours, minutes. The word he uses is kairos. And what he's saying by that is this, make the most use of your allotted time. And so what he means by that is this, we are one day closer to the end of our life than we were yesterday. We have an allotted time on this earth, right? We all have a kairos. There's an allotted time, and we're not going to live, listen to me, one moment longer than God has ordained for our kairos to be. Everybody got that? And guess what? We're one day closer than we were yesterday, right? Okay? Now here's the next principle. Our opportunity for serving Him exists only within the boundaries of, of our kairos, our fixed number of days. God has given us a fixed number of days, and our opportunity to serve Him, to live for Him, to make a difference for Him, to make an impact in society, can only take place in that fixed period. So when He says, redeem the time, He's saying, take advantage of the fixed period God has set for your life. It's as if He's saying, life is short. So you ought to live in a certain way in light of that reality. So we are one day closer. We are one day closer to the end of our life than we were yesterday. So that's the, the mandate. Uh, don't waste your time. Uh, don't waste the life God has given you. But here's the motivation. He says there, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. So live with urgency Redeem the time, buy up the time so you don't waste it because the days are evil. In other words, we are surrounded by a fallen world that desperately needs to see lives that will point them to Jesus. Let me say it again. We are surrounded by a fallen world that desperately needs to see lives that will point them to Jesus. And so, because life is short, you have one opportunity to live for Jesus, make the most of it. Let your life count. Don't. He's What he's saying here is, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Make it count for Jesus. Now, here's the question. How do you make the most of the time that God has given you? Well, let me give you a couple things here. Number one, constantly remember the brevity of life. Look over in Psalm 90 with me. Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is of note because it's the only psalm attributed to Moses. Psalm 90. It says there, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And look what he says in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us, help us to understand it there. Life is short so that we'll make wise decisions. 
Because if we live like we're going to live like live forever, there's no eternity coming, then we'll live unwise lives. But if we understand we have a fixed boundary of time in which to serve Jesus, then if we understand life is so short, then we will make the most of it for the glory of God. Constantly remember the brevity of life. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes says, and I'm going to paraphrase, it says, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. The Bible says that. Why would the Bible say it's better to go to a funeral than a party? Not as much fun, but it's better because it's sobering. When you go to a funeral, you are reminded of your mortality. You're reminded that eternity is coming. And that ought to matter with the way you live your life. It ought to matter in the way that you, you uh, trust Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand, constantly remember the brevity of life. And then we need to adjust our priorities. Adjust our priorities to make sure that we're making the most of this life. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Colossians 1.18 says uh, that, that in all things Christ is to have the preeminence. So, so adjust your priorities so that you are living a life that maximizes the time that you have been given to serve Him. Don't waste your life. The 16th century reformer and contemporary of Martin Luther, uh, Philip Melanchthon, kept a record of every wasted uh, moment and would take his list to God in confession at the end of every day. He would keep a note, oh, wasted that moment, wasted that moment. And I don't know about you, but if I kept a diary of my wasted moments, it'd be pretty thick. How about y'all? You ever had a, a wasted, wasted day, wasted hour, wasted whatever? Uh, so many times we can just put our brain on cruise control and just veg or whatever, and, and, and we find ourselves um, really not contemplating how to make a difference with the time that God has given us. And so adjust your priorities. Listen to what I, this illustration I came across. It says, imagine that a bank credits your account each morning with $86,400. No balance is carried over from day to day. Any balance is deleted each evening. What would you do when you knew that you would not use all your daily balance? Why? Withdraw every dollar, of course. You have such a bank, and so have I. The name of our bank is Time. Every day, we are credited with 86,400 seconds. Every night, that which we have not used is debited from our account. Time Bank allows no overdraft. There's no going back for a second chance. Time Bank does not allow borrowing from tomorrow. And, of course, there are no leftovers. The clock ticks away never waiting for sluggards to catch up, no waiting for what might have been. Relentlessly, the clock ticks and ticks and ticks. Isn't that true? Every day, 86,400 seconds are deposited into our bank called time. We've got to decide, am I going to use those moments, those seconds for the glory of God, or am I going to just let them be wasted? It's a good question. Which leads to the fourth thing, live obediently. Live obediently. We've said that in light of the evil days in which we live, we need to live carefully, live wisely, live urgently, live obediently. Look what he says back in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And when he uses the phrase, the will of the Lord, what he's saying is, he's he's speaking of the moral will of God, the expectations, the commandments God has for our lives as clearly revealed in scriptures. In other words, 
um, we talk about the will of God often. We say, okay, God, God, do you want me to take this job or take that job? Do you want me to move here or move there? We're talking about the particular will of God for our lives. But most of the time, the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God. It's speaking of God's clearly revealed will. Now, in other words, let me say it like this. 90% of our life is already clearly revealed in Scripture. And we just need to obey what He's already said. Amen? And so, uh, it's the moral will of God. So you saying, hey, because life is short, because the days are evil, you need to live obediently. Here, here, here's the way to sum that up. Learn God's expectations for your life and obey Him. Learn God's expectations for your life and obey Him. And He will use your life for good and for his glory. So live obediently. Now, hey, quick word about obedience. It's the way you prove your love for Jesus. Do you know that? Over in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So the way we show Jesus we love him is by obeying him. You ever thought about the Garden of Eden? Why did God put a tree there and said and say, Don't eat from that tree? Why would he do that? Have you ever thought about that? Deep questions, right? I believe it's because Every time Adam and Eve walked by that tree and they obeyed and did not eat the fruit, they were showing God they loved him and trusted him. It was their opportunity every day to walk by the tree and say, God, I love you so much, I'm going to trust your commandment, and I'm not going to eat from that fruit. Right? And so we have the opportunity every day. We have commandments uh, that are good. They're not burdensome, the Bible says. He gives them to him for our good, to give us abundant life and freedom. And our, our role, our calling is to obey those commandments so we can live a life that matters, a life of impact, a life that is abundant and free. And so we are to live obediently. So listen, the days are evil, right? That phrase he says in verse 16, make the best use of the time because the days are are evil. We have direct parallels with Ephesus. The days are evil. Things are not going in the right direction in our in our nation. We've lost all moral we've lost our moral compass and we've certainly lost moral courage. There are not many leaders out there speaking uh, truth in in the public square. And so we must uh, live lives that matter in the midst of this evil and make a difference with the life that God has given us. 